Well, Father Jonathan, I think we've reached the end of our cycle. Mm-hmm. This is Pentecost. Easter, yeah, Easter tide has come to its close as we now pray with the descent of the Holy Spirit. That's right, and we will usher in ordinariness, ordinarity. How do you say that? Ordinary time. Yeah. <laughs> so I gotta say, I mentioned this to you before we recorded, but um, I'm not like a super rad trad. But when it comes to the way that the liturgical calendar has been restructured in the last few decades. I got to tell you, the readings have not made a whole lot of sense to me. And I think I've, I've sort of begrudgingly preached on the gospel of John throughout the course of Easter. Uh But like now that we have Pentecost, it makes perfect sense now for us to have weeks after Pentecost to pray and read the book of Acts. Since literally the first reading for the, Feast of Pentecost is the beginning of the book of Acts or like today was the Ascension. Like we had the very, literally the very beginning of the book of Acts. And so like, it makes a lot of sense from here on out to be reading the book of Acts as opposed to like the last couple of weeks. It's like it's Easter and we're not reading anything about the resurrection at all. Like it seems like a bizarre decision, you know, for the lectionary that now that we're at Pentecost, we're like, okay, great. Easter's over, uh, <laughs> you know, and yeah. no more reading from the book of Acts. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I don't really know anything about that. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, no, but it, yeah. So now, so like the Easter cycle has ended. We're at Pentecost. And it's just odd because it seems like all through Easter, we've been reading everything that's post-Pentecost, you know, um, which is which is just very odd. Um, I did, uh, just as uh, right out of the gate, I preached today on the Ascension about the end of the like Paschal circle. The Paschal cycle sort of ends with the Ascension, like, the descent at the incarnation, the descent into hell at the crucifixion sort of comes full circle um, with the ascension. But I'm wondering, how does Pentecost fit into this cycle? Like, how is this the end of Easter and not the ascension? Yeah, I mean, I look at it in terms of like the sacrament um, of confirmation. Like this is now being sealed and it doesn't see this is where it kind of breaks down, I guess. Not like with <clears throat> with Pentecost. With you literally started talking and then said it broke down. <laughs> as soon as you started talking, <laughs> what 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 breaks out about it? Well, because you're it's the sealing in of the baptism, and we don't start ascension isn't baptism. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the right sealing away. in of the gifts that have been given, which is I sure. guess ascension, I guess. Um, well, the so like liturgically we reflect what actually happened over the course of the events so like 10 days later i guess you know there's the descent of the holy spirit so i get that um i don't know i just I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and i i do love pentecost don't get me wrong i think that it's a wonderful feast and i love the holy spirit and <laughs> and actually preaching on the holy spirit Big fan. i think yeah huge fan huge fan cannot endorse enough but i also think it's just a really easy topic to to preach on i think that it's so <laughs> easy to preach on the holy spirit um especially like the readings that we have you know, you have all the proclamation at Pentecost and then you have all the native languages and people understanding the reversal of Babel. You have the gifts of the spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit, Abba, Father. Like there's just so much that you can latch onto. you know, especially since we're in a post Pentecost church to where we this is our bread and butter, you know, mm-hmm. the life in the spirit. That's right. Yeah. So. Oftentimes, at least for me, when there is such, and we've spoken about this sometime, uh, a couple of times um, with le- these great feasts where there's so much, how do you knock that down and just do a good homily? Because you can't pack everything yeah. in. Uh, yeah. And that's very tempting this time. This time is very tempting. 
Uh, you know, before I jump in, though, uh, let me just tell you br briefly what I did for the Ascension. Because um, that same theme was problematic for us as we talked last week about, you know, struggling between the feasts and the readings. And I decided to just latch on to that one question that you and I harped on a little bit last week about why are you looking up mm. to the sky? Mm -hmm. um, but instead of taking it the angle that you uh, took it, which I think is a really great one and I want to continue to reflect on, which, you know, about like looking out into eternity and like contemplating the stars and our sense of wonder. I, I took it as an opportunity actually to preach on the tragedy that happened in San Antonio. Mm. Um, and my angle was... Um, that question from the angels, a good one, Christians should have their eyes set on heaven as the goal and their head in the clouds because that's where they want to be. But if our head is in the clouds and we don't notice the suffering of the holy innocence around us, yeah. then what are we doing? Yep. So my sort of takeaway line to summarize my homily was Christians should have their heads in the clouds, but their feet firmly planted on the ground. Um, which is what the men at the Ascension were doing. Mm -hmm. They were looking up, but their feet were planted on the ground. So that's to say that like the tragedies around us, we can't just face them with platitudes of like, well, Jesus is Lord and there will be resurrection on the final day. It's like not untrue, but also a little bit callous, you know, if we don't have the kind of empathy that men with their feet firmly planted would have, you know? Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I think it's it's helpful to remember like that they were constantly prepared. This is what we like to say about the Jesuits, that we are always ready to move. We're always ready to go where there is the need, where the need is greatest. And I think yeah. that was the beauty of the early church is that they were so mobile and so willing to go literally to the ends of the earth. You know, and that's and that's how that, that where that balance happens, I think. And perhaps even where we get, where our disconnect is because we don't do that anymore. You know, we don't have yeah. that same missionary spirit to where we need to remember why we're doing this thing, but we also need to keep in mind that we're still called to go forth <laughs> as, yeah. as the masses yeah. ended. Yeah, that's good. You know, that might be, that might be the impetus perhaps for a homily on the Pentecost is that, you know, the go forth and the, the movement outward, that's precisely the spirit, mm -hmm. you know, the thundering um, wind that comes and pushes them forth. That, that might be precisely the thing that leads us into our mission off of Mount uh, the mountain of the ascension, you know, down into the valley. It's like accompanied by the spirit um, that's given to the disciples. Um, you know, at the same time, like there's a lot of content on the Pentecost readings where you could focus on the gifts or on the event and all that. Um, but it's also the spirit can be kind of an ethereal thing for a lot of people, you know, as how is the spirit, you know, a personal, a person, you know, mm -hmm. um, and not just like a feeling or an impetus or an energy, uh, but, but the personal God, you know? Yeah. I ha so there's a line from the first reading that really, stood out to me, and I don't know that I've ever focused on this before. It's the last part of that first part, the last part of the first part, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say, as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. And I really like this idea of the Spirit is that which enables us not just to speak, because we can do that, but to truly proclaim the good news. Um, that has to be enabled by the Spirit. And perhaps that's that's where we can get um, our continuity from ascension, from the giving of the gifts, from the sealing of the gifts, that this is something that we have been given. Uh, yeah. And, and to your point, maybe, about um, one foot on the ground, one foot in the cloud, is that it has to be cultivated. Hmm. Um, it's not just, you know, one and done, you've got it boom magic 
uh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a constant cycle, you know, of understanding and then maybe confusion. Like something happens in yeah. the world, like a school shooting, and you're set back on your heels. You're like, wait a second. What do I actually believe right. here? What do I actually think here? Right, right. Yeah, you know, another angle for that same idea from that same line, as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim, um, if it's the Spirit who is enabling the proclamation, then it's the same, it's the common, that's the common ground, so that each of these, the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, etc., can hear and understand, mm-hmm. because there's one common tongue being spoken yeah. behind behind the words. And so I wonder... To put it in a little bit of an abstraction uh, for a moment, or maybe even just like an ethical or or something or like a relational dimension, um, even though you and I speak different languages, let's say, can I hear Christian charity in what you say? Um, can I hear the gospel in your worldview and in your perspective? Or are we such are we so different from each other and we don't speak the same language at all that it's not the spirit that we both share in common? Mm-hmm. Uh, the spirit is that which what we have in common because we share one common baptism. So we 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 are of various creed, sorry, of various places and cultures, but we have one common tongue mm-hmm. because we have the one common spirit that emboldens us to speak. Yeah, you know, even if we speak different languages, we can recognize the gospel in the other person in what they say. You know. Yeah, no, I think that's that's spot on. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Um, hmm. Which I don't have, I don't, I don't have a natural disposition to assume that what you're saying is the truth. Like, that's not my natural disposition. Mm-hmm. My natural disposition is skepticism, always, is to say, like, well, I probably know best, and I should probably, like, put this through the hopper and see if this person has any sense. Well, that's the enlightenment. Whereas, that's what we've learned, to be skeptical. Yeah, as opposed to, have, yeah, as opposed to, as opposed to having this presupposition of charity to say, like, well... Uh, is Jonathan a baptized Christian who has the Holy Spirit through his confirmation and has the gifts of the Spirit? Well, then why don't I trust that we belong to the same body mm-hmm. and that maybe he is speaking, he's enabled to proclaim by the Spirit? Or is it like I'm always on guard, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I may be reaching with this one, but bear with me and let me know if, mm-hmm. if there's a connection here. What if, what if we continue along these same lines of of the spirit being being our our common tongue our our the the the, fo- the very foundation on which we not only speak but but live and proclaim and and act look at the last part of our gospel from John uh the first option i guess about who sins you forgive are forgiven them and who sins you retain are retained there's an interesting there's a power dynamic there there's a a, a humility aspect there there's a trust that that it's actually going to happen there and so it when you submit to something like um the sacrament of confession and allow it to really work and to move you and to change you um you almost can't then go and proclaim and make it about you using your own words and your Mm. own you know etc this going back i mean a great example of this is the distinction between uh king king saul and and king david right saul's downfall was that he couldn't he tried to put his own power and authority over um the priesthood of samuel uh where david did not he always deferred yeah. to god yeah yeah what do you think about that and so you see like an 
in the reception of the spirit, there is authority that's recognized. So like the, the spirit is the one who convicts us to proclaim, but also to have authority. Yeah. Um, and recognizing that like, I, so like I, I am very sensitive to people who abuse their authority mm-hmm. and have a certain ego, like Saul that are an incapable of in humility surrendering. And so like the kinds of people who I have a lot more sympathy for in the church, especially who in a not fake way are able to say, this is power given to me from on high. Mm-hmm. And I exercise it with confidence, but I don't exercise it with entitlement. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm like, I'm a servant of the secret fire, you know, like <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I am someone who's received. So like I've received the authority to be able to bind and to loose. And in all humility, it's a reception, not a grasping yeah. where the spirit comes and I receive that authority. Like it's laid upon David, you know, the burden to be the king. He doesn't grasp at it. Um, similarly, like as priests, you know, we don't grasp at this authority to forgive sins. It's like, it's given to us almost mm-hmm. like, almost like, wow. Like, I don't know if I, if I'm worthy yeah. of this at all, you know? Um, and maybe that humility of receiving the spirit is the common tongue that we can resonate with members of the body of Christ is that I am a lot closer to people in the church who I feel can share in the humble practice of like, I'm just here to help out, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm here to help, but the spirit is the one who breathes and has authority. Yeah. And you know, that, that authority, that power has nothing to do with the content of the things that they like. It's not about how, how smart or how convincing or, you know, how good of a homily they can give even. Uh, right. When they're the truly humble priest, preacher will move people mm-hmm. almost in spite of himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, like we see in the in the preaching of Peter at Pentecost, you know, that the all of these people were moved, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's a beautiful witness that they're moved not because Peter was eloquent. We know that that's the opposite mm-hmm. of the case, uh, but they're moved precisely because in all humility, he speaks the truth. Yeah. And speaking the truth, it's convicting. So like that's the common tongue. You know, Jesus even says like the spirit of truth. And that spirit of truth is precisely the common language of the common tongue that un- unites nations. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's a whole homily here about like the crisis of truth, mm. you know, not to make it too abstract, but just to say that the spirit comes and breathes the truth. The spirit of truth will be among you. And, you know, it's by no other than the Holy Spirit that we can proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that God is Abba. Uh, the truth of God himself is only known by the spirit. And similarly, all truth uh, we come to know through the spirit. And so how did the Pamphylians and the Phrygians and the Egyptians come to any sign of sign of commonality was because they've been united under the one spirit of God. And that's the truth. Um, in a time where we're in a crisis of truth, you know, in our culture, yeah, I think where no one are. knows what the hell, you know? Yeah. No one knows what the heck is right or wrong. And no one wants to concede in humility that the other may have some reason. Right. That's right. Um, and we're all making our own truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, maybe an angle that would be great to go on that I think might capture a lot of this stuff is the angle of unity. And so that the fact that there's all this diversity of people, what unites all these nations? And if it's a treaty, well, okay, that's just like choice and will and kind of arbitrary historical circumstance. But if it's the truth, nations then fall. the Egyptians and the... Say it again, say it again. Nations fall. Yeah, yeah. But if it's the truth and the Parthians and the Romans, like they can't deny it. Mm-hmm because it transcends them. And so we try to build truth in our nations today and in our church too. If it's built on anything other than the truth of the gospel and the truth of Christ, well, then it's just going to fall apart. You know, it's another Tower of Babel. That's right. That's right. And it, again, it's it's the, ba- the Tower of Babel was built specifically for 
humanity to control yeah and to make things uniform to have just one Mm -hmm. which is a complete destruction of creativity of freedom of imagination it doesn't allow for any of that right Uh, and pentecost has the exact opposite of that Mm -hmm. Uh, and as we were just talking about like it's not this authority has nothing to do with, you know, the specific words, you know, we're not, we're not casting magical incantations or anything. <laughs> we're, we're, mm-hmm. it's a, they're vehicles for, for that truth, for that Holy Spirit, um, which can manifest in different ways, different languages. Yeah. 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 This, I, a few weeks ago, I might, I might've told you this, but I ended up preaching a confirmation homily and, uh, it was on one of the random Sundays of Easter, and so it wasn't specifically about the Holy Spirit, the readings. But um, I did insist on on the importance of that Christianity is not about unity in uniformity, mm-hmm. but about unity in Christ. That the diversity within the body of Christ is a good thing. It's not an absolute good. I mean, I think diversity and equity are good things, but they're not an absolute good. Like, unity is a higher good. Um, but unity doesn't require there to be the destruction of diversity to accomplish it. If anything, there's a great celebration of diversity within the body of Christ Mm -hmm. that we can read in the book of Acts, all of these great nations and say, that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing that the, there's something so much more basic than just national identity. And that is the communion that is shared among those believers. And you mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's like, what else, you know, unites a Libyan and a Cyrene? and a Phrygian and a Pamphylian other than the gospel. Like, that's an incredible feat, you know? Yep. And it's a spirit of unity. Yep, yep. Precisely for us in a time where we're so prone to division, mm-hmm. well, then this is precisely the kind of, like, good news that we could hear is that unity is possible and not through force, you know, but through the spirit of God. However that, I don't know how that people experience that, but but yeah, I don't know. There's a There's a language there that could be useful for us, especially since our country is... I mean, to say it's so divided has become kind of trite, mm-hmm. but it is. No, yeah, and I, th- and I keep coming back to this idea of, of humility, you know. The one who speaks with truth is not beating you over the head with it. You don't have, you are convinced by the truth because it's true, <laughs> not because you, you know, you've been beaten down by it. Like, that's just such that's a, right. a trick of the evil spirit to make you think that this can only happen through violence. That's right. That's exactly right. Cool, man. This is good. Um, let's just cut it there, and let's say uh, just a final word. I think you and I are going to take um, take a break. Yeah. We mentioned this last week uh, for a couple of months. You know, the the liturgical calendar continues on with some beautiful feasts after Pentecost. You know, there'll be the Holy Trinity Sunday, and then there'll be the Feast of Corpus Christi. But after that, like you mentioned, we'll just go back into the regular um, the regular march of ordinary time up until Christ the King back in you know back in November. Um, and so, yeah, we won't wait that long, but maybe we can take a couple of weeks off and come back. Yeah. I'll probably be settled um, around mid-August uh-huh. just to get back on uh, on the horse when I get settled back in my new assignment. Um, but until then, I'll be moving around a lot, and I think you will be too. That's right. That's right. And who knows, maybe if, if another event pops up again that uh, that spurs us to have a, a special episode, we'll do another one like we did with our preaching in crisis. Indeed. Cool, man. All right. Well, then, until next time, and have a good summer. You too.